0: Transformate. Uh, we have a very special session today because we're live for the first time so thank you so much for all of you for joining in today but I also wanted to give a shout out to the sponsors of today's uh, session to docents and to UV consultants uh, and of course, to unbox to learn for joining uh, Transformate TV today with this amazing session. So, thank you. and I am super excited to be welcoming Savine Hegdi uh, from Unbox to Learn. Savine is a three-time TEDx speaker. He's also a world champion in Toastmaster, which is an unbelievable accolade. He also runs a company called Unbox to Learn. Uh, which is a consultancy company that works with storytelling and design thinking to create transformations for individuals and organizations. So we're super excited to welcome Savine onto Transformate today, where we're gonna be talking about transformations and how we can really make impactful change for ourselves, for our teams, and for our companies. So welcome, Savine.
1: Thank you for that amazing introduction. So Uh, tell me a little
0: bit about why you started unbox to learn
1: I used to be an engineer, I used to work in one of the largest uh, automobile companies uh, in the world. And then I used to interact with a lot of these organizations uh, and see if they have the right people process and product capabilities. And that's when I realized that when we used to interact with relatively smaller organizations, that they did not have a proper people development aspect integrated to the system. There would be a lot of focus on product and process development, but very little focus on people as such. And on the other side, having been a part of a very big organization, I realized that all the learning initiatives were downright boring and very disengaging. And I had a little bit of uh, an exposure in theater and comedy. So I thought using that we can make learning more interesting. And as a result of which, I left the job and started something, uh, I think, almost a decade back now. Uh, and now uh, we do what we do. We make learning more interesting, engaging, and transformational in its truest sense.
0: Amazing. Yeah, and I couldn't agree more. I mean, I have come from a corporate background as well, where certainly we've been through hours of obligatory training every year. And it's seen as something that an added value, you know, that the company is offering their employees, but so often it doesn't have an impact because it doesn't create any change. It just gives you like information rather than creating change. So as today we're talking about transformation. So tell me a little bit about your take on what transformation actually means.
1: There are a lot of transformations that we as individuals go through and uh, a clear one that i can think of is about overcoming fear and so on and so forth so uh, i have a little journal because i do uh, storytelling workshops right so that's something i recommend that we need to keep uh, a journal of what are the interesting incidents that you can recollect at whatever point in time so i was just flipping through that book last night um, and i'd written about this massive fear i had for crackers you know as a child Um, so, there is this big festival that we celebrate in India called Diwali and uh, we burst crackers and it's, it's a big event, per se. And I think I was, what, six or seven years old and uh, I had a pet dog and dogs don't like crackers. So, uh, he would go hide somewhere and uh, be uncomfortable and I would be scared. I remember, and my dad would get a lot of crackers and <laughs> I remember putting one entire box of crackers into water. Uh, saying, don't do this to me and my pet. And my dad would keep making fun of it, saying, why are you scared and so on. And that moment of transformation I still remember is when my uncle was there at my house and then he said, why are you scared? Uh, Let's do this. So there's this long sparkler that you get. It's a massive um, sparkler and it has those crystals on top. It looks like sugar. And I was even afraid of that because the sparks would fly on your hand when you hold it. And that's like the least right. scary thing. And he, he made me hold that. And while I was weeping, he's like, see, nothing oh. is happening. And it was burning. And I'm like, no, don't do this. And then when I <laughs> dropped that sparkler down, my fear of crackers was gone. That's, that's transformation for me because there is, yeah. a, there is a hard-hitting event or there is somebody who's holding your hand, guiding you how to get over it. Uh, how we can make these changes that change the very meaning of the word is transform means change and that shift in the mindset can happen by these hard hitting events so that for me is transformation how we shift on the other side if I look at it as you mentioned um, the world championship experience is a big transformation for me but that was not a one-time thing Uh, almost for six years I participated in that uh, competition. And that entire journey, I was in the finals, by the way. And that was a transformation journey in terms of learning new skills every time I went back and competed there. um, And doing it every day. So that was one of the dreams that I wrote down that every single day, I would love to be on stage in front of people. And that sounded so bizarre in my head, how is that even possible? Uh, But if I look at the pre-COVID time, I yeah. almost did that every single day. So living that, that sustaining the transformation to being very scared to get on stage, uh, to consciously building that skill by putting yourself out there. Uh, so these are two instances that I could think of when you said transformation, that there is a hard hitting event. Maybe you don't like it sometimes, but you realize it It was for your better. Um, on the other side, there is an element of sustenance and aspiration, and it's not, an, it's not a one-time event, but you build over a period of time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And actually, that's a great story with the firecrackers. We, we use a lot of firecrackers in Sweden yeah. as well, but I used to love them as a kid. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, I guess the, the big element there, which I sort of uh, pick up on, is that it's about getting out of your comfort zone, sort of pushing yourself beyond your yeah. comfort zone yeah. in order to create uh, some change. So, and how is transformation even more important uh, today in today's sort of new normal environment uh, than ever before?
1: Before I used to create learning events. So do a one day workshop and then expect people to change. And I've had a, I've been very fortunate to interact with some of the best speakers in the world who do these massive keynote addresses for large groups of people. And a few of them are my mentors and I would ask them how much of a shift have you seen in people after you do these massive events? And they say it's a trigger, but we don't really know if they've transformed. So the three levels at which we see transformation is at an individual level, at a team and at an organization. But all three cascade to the same thing, because even if it's an organization, every single individual in the organization has to move, move and shift. Even if it's a team, every single person in the team has to move and shift their mindset.
0: I actually totally agree with that. And this is where sometimes I see clients sort of misunderstanding this point or not understanding it from the beginning that actually transformation, if you want to create organizational transformation, it actually has to start with the individual. So maybe you could touch a little bit on some some of your personal experiences through your work on how the individual transformations become uh, the key focus?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a very good question. So with our teams support, one of the things we do, we use the design thinking framework. So in a design thinking framework to build a learning program, and uh, that was the idea. So through our network of people, even on this uh, Transformate interview, we've invited a lot of people who design learning initiatives for their organizations. So one of the things we did, so this is after 2015, the shift happened. So I have been doing a lot of these workshops with companies and we used to do one day, two day programs and that's it and expect the change to happen, right? In our head, we feel good that we've done our work. But after 2015, when I got the exposure to design thinking as a concept and storytelling as a philosophy, we realized that we're not going... and understanding the needs enough. So, if I look at an individual transformation program, I can think of one thing that we did called Samriddhi, means progress. We did a program uh, with the help of a large company for, uh, with their support, we ran this for very small and medium scale enterprises uh, in India. And there, the way in which they promote and make you a manager or supervisor is not with your qualification of a management degree, but. Just because you've been doing well at your job they say okay now you manage 10 more people so these were called supervisors more than managers so we went to nine different companies and found that there are at least two three people in every organization every company that are supervisors but none of them had a management degree none of them knew how to manage people but that was their current job so from an individual contributor they moved so we designed a three month management development program exclusively for these guys. But it was just four days, but it was spread over time. So we got industry leaders to come in and tell them why they need to learn this. Then we did the workshop. Then they would come back and run a project and present before the same leaders, like their CEOs and so on. She was very scared of going and speaking to the director of the company. And she said, through this project, what we couldn't do for one year, I was able to do it in 13 days and now I don't have the fear of speaking to my boss and he gave me the guidance and the boss says this is a huge shift uh, in terms of the approach and these are some meaningful stories where we feel that okay we're making a difference in the way things are going on and that change is not for once I mean it's for a lifetime Um, the framework that we use to develop programs uh, for any program in fact uh, that you can see so now we are doing this entire thing on the digital platform so we have an initial leadership discussion we measure where they are today then we intersperse workshop which is a social learning with one-on-one coaching as much as it's needed then we showcase uh, again you see the yellow dot at the end of the journey we bring in the leaders to say hey this is what they have done this is what they're working on and then again, we run a workshop for them to get the confidence to present their success story. And that's when we can see. So, like you can see, leadership uh, transformation is not an event, yeah, uh, but a seamless journey with a lot of events that we create so that we know that it is changing. And every single aspect of this is important.
0: Yeah, and I think this is, um, you know, the point that you're making, which we were talking about before the training as well. When you're making a transformation for an individual, you know, their whole entire outlook, not just at work, but also in the way that they, you know, they live their life with their loved ones and in their communities. So you're actually creating this like uh, very ongoing uh, impact on individuals that can then contribute uh, to the teams. I wanted to just interject a little bit about design thinking because there might be some of our viewers that are not super familiar with the concept of design thinking. And this is, you know, one of our initial conversations, obviously, was around uh, when I attended one of your workshops around design thinking. And I was so fascinated about this kind of, uh, you know, sort of innovative way of approaching um, problems. Maybe you can tell us a bit more about the concept Uh, of design thinking.
1: I had been doing my work uh, for four or five years on my own, working with organizations. And then I was also, like I said, into theater and uh, art, and I used to do magic as a child. So I've been doing all sorts of things on the artistic side also. And then I ran into the concept of design thinking, and I did a course on an online platform. And then I was fascinated that, uh, that design thinking means that there is a creative side and there's a logical side and how these two things need to come together for you to solve any problem uh, whether it's in your life or at your organization so uh, when i when i went through the concept itself it's a it's a balance between art and business and i had an instant connect it sort of defined me as a person because that's what i was doing i was an engineer but i was doing comedy on the weekend and then I was doing theater and then I was working in a company. So that's sort of, and it still is my life that way. So that's the beauty of it, that the design thinking is a magical balance between art and business. So there are some ways and because of our constant uh, training in the wrong sense, that we are forced to think in a certain way, always, um, that we let go of the creative side of us but we need the best of both worlds to crack a problem. And that was the biggest learning. So there are some interesting tools uh, in design thinking that I learned. So one of which is when you come across a challenge, there is a philosophy where you start with the discovery process. In the discovery process, what you do is you go in and shadow your end user. What we call as end user is somebody who's a learner or an employee in your organization when you're creating a transformation program. And you just shadow them as an assistant and just absorb what do they do from morning to evening. Then to design a program became so much more easier. And that was one of the most impactful programs we run. We designed a nine month journey for the same set of people. And it was a homogeneous group. So when you design a team transformation program, if you pick the same kind of people having the similar challenges, and that can be really meaningful. So within nine months, we we did a lot of video modules for them. We gave them online assessments, tests, and within nine months, it was a huge transformation. There was almost a 4X increase in the amount of uh, sales that they were doing in nine months time. So there is a huge business value add as well. But the depth that you go back into, that is with the power of design. I
0: understand it's a, a little bit like, if you want to get fit, you know you can just either go to the gym you know once a year and not see any results or you can go to the gym and get maybe some results but you don't really know what you're doing or you can hire a personal trainer who really understands how you work and you know what is what is the most likely time for you to work out what is you know who studies your schedule and your lifestyle and then designs a the program accordingly you're gonna have like a phenomenally greater impact Uh, so it's a little bit like that if you take the time to actually dig a little bit deeper yes maybe it's a slightly bigger investment but the results are going to be transformational versus not really very much at all
1: as human beings we change only when there is extreme fear uh, or the pain versus pleasure uh, principle that Tony Robbins speaks about in his uh, book, that we change only when there is extreme pain or extreme uh, pleasure. So we need to use these principles when we design the program in such a way that it matches us to realize, okay, if I be this way, I can become more successful in my job. Or if I don't do this, this is gonna take this away from me. And I think now we are more on the, uh, the, the side of fear where we feel what is gonna happen now. Yeah, so that's why it's a good time to build in transformation in the way that we want to.
0: Somebody was asking about what are the key inputs to run cultural transformation? And that's a really interesting uh, question, I think. So maybe you can touch a little bit on that, how that's different.
1: Absolutely. Now, um, again, coming back to the same thing, a culture in an organization is defined by uh, people, and their behavior on an everyday basis, right? So this um, there is a beverage company that reached out to us saying, we have a department in our uh, organization that has grown really fast, but there was no connection or correlation to the people there because it was not an organic growth. And this tends to happen a lot when one kind of process, one kind of product, begins to sell in the market and then large organization have, have to get a lot of people to do that work so there's no organic growth and we they, they told us and also they were very busy so we were told that they will not have a lot of time for you to run long workshops but again our belief was in the principle that i showed you right building a storyline format of engagement so Uh, Using the principles of story sharing, you know, there is a collaborative story sharing principle that as human beings, we connect when we listen to each other's stories, understand each other's emotions. And that happens only when I sit down, talk to you uh, in, in certain ways. We facilitated that. So we worked on building a five week program, but the program was just for two hours every week. So we come today, we ask you to bring one of your favorite, uh, most emotionally attached object. Some people got a ring, some people got a painting. There was one lady who got a newspaper clipping uh, Hmm. of she playing badminton uh, at the state level with a national champion. And she had beaten her and her photo was there. And she was feeling so proud about her achievement and she shared this story. Now imagine somebody who's represented uh, your state is a big thing, but none of her team members knew about that story. Uh, One of the biggest achievements of that person. So we sort of mined all these stories, made them share it with each other. And every week the theme was different. We made them go interview an entrepreneur, interview a customer, come back. Uh, We did a gratitude story week, that is, somebody who helped me in the last month, can I write a detailed letter and hand it to them? And then we created a physical story corner in the organization where they would come and put up their stories for each person. So, although I've not met you and heard your story, but it's out there. So, we created created these amazing uh, canvases for them to put these up. So right now, as we speak, we're talking about transformation, Uh, the same program, we are now designing it for the virtual world. So we have created a digital story corner and where people can come in and put uh, the stories and the conversation can happen through uh, a conversation like you and I are having right now. So the essence is having a journey and for you to bring that culture in and after the five week engagement, the team realizing that, okay, it's not just a person I'm emailing to, uh, it's not a robot, there's an actual human being sitting who I know, whose stories I know from childhood, from whatever things that we did and so on and so forth. So that, that is a shift in culture. So before, when the time was up, nobody would speak to each other, they would just go home. But now they're talking to each other, there are lesser conflicts and so on and so forth. So that was the storytelling journey that we built Uh, for that particular organization using uh, collaborative storytelling techniques.
0: It sort of brings that human element back into the workplace which is is, is so important for collaboration and teamwork and yeah. we're going through such a bizarre time right now so you know creating these kind of human aspects even if you're using a technology and zoom it becomes it sort of takes down that separation a little bit and makes us more connected how would a leader use storytelling in their leadership
1: um, if you look at the kind of leader that we need at this point in time is somebody who's more connected with their teams and the entire uh, employee base And that can happen only when a leader is willing to share vulnerabilities. And I think the last few months have shown us that irrespective of how powerful, how big an organization you are, irrespective of uh, the kind of education you may have as a leader, there is very little in our control. And only when a leader is able to share those stories of vulnerability, the connection is built. So you need a lot of courage to sit down and share those stories. And that's what uh, we facilitate in our programs to make a leader, number one, mine the story, craft the story, and share the story. So there is a method of mining these stories with which others you feel that, okay, I'm not a natural storyteller. Uh, where do you find out these incidents in your life or what experiences you've had? So we take them to, through the process of story mining make them craft it and then see is it relevant to the current situation and to the outcome and then share that story so through this process of sharing the connection is more stronger and you empathize more with your own leader and you feel okay this is a person i like to be led by and it takes a lot of courage to do that because i can share success stories very easily i can share things that i've done really well but today we need somebody who's more stronger Uh, strongly connected, and that's going to help us navigate this scenario better.
0: Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. This authentic, conscious leadership is something that, you know, we're doing a lot of work on now as well because it's become more important than ever. And it's almost surprising that we could have run companies for so many years without this missing element. And that's where the power is. You know, that's where the strength of a leader is and as you say that's what people want to follow Um, so when we look at incorporating different programs in organizations you know sometimes they are leadership led sometimes they come from a human resources aspect or maybe from a uh, sales and marketing aspect depending on who has the need that they've identified so my question to you would be how important is the senior leadership uh, buy-in And if you don't have it how do you
1: where do you start so um, in its truest sense our most uh, successful organization transformation program that we've run uh, is when there's a big business impact so we were working with this manufacturing company and uh, we use a design thinking for innovation as a program so we ran a hundred-day program and uh, The success was unbelievable. In 100 days, uh, the organization got back 360x return on their investment. So the number of ideas that came up were around 3600 odd ideas. And within this 100 days, imagine 360x return on investment. So suppose you spent uh, $1.00. On, on the program you're getting 360 dollars return on investment so it sort of self-funded their entire uh, learning and development needs for the next 10 years probably. Yeah. so and in that program one of the key things that we did is we engaged the founder and the ceo right from the beginning and when we had the first conversation and also the size of the organization was not it's not a it's not a huge multinational company but they were uh, big enough but not really small so the CEO and the founder were in the right frame of mind to listen to us and they said let's do it as you said so the first request we put in is to run the design thinking workshop that we do straight away for their senior management team for them first and yeah. then follow the top-down approach and then they realized that okay this is a great approach this is a new approach and we need this And the clarity that they get will help them drive the way forward. And once the senior management went through this as a program, then they said, now let us sign up for this 100-day program. I know who are the kind of people who you need and how long should be the program? What is the expectation that we have? So we drove individual projects through them and within 100 days, it was like magic. And there were people who came up with 22 implemented ideas in that 100-day program and it was it was really heartwarming for us to see that some of these concepts that we have uh, discussed and studied to see it come to life and making a difference within the organization in such a short span of time was very powerful so mm-hmm. i think the clarity of the leaders as to what does transformation mean is really important um i think i have uh, couple of my friends from uv consultants here so we were having a conversation with with a client in the middle east just two weeks back and he very interestingly mentioned an example he was a little frustrated and he said you know what Sareen? we have built a dance floor uh, but nobody is dancing like he was giving an analogy to we have put a structure but nobody is following it so his analogy was we have built a dance floor but none of them are dancing. What do we do? Yeah. And that's the thing. So when we build these leadership uh, development journeys or the transformational journey, as I showed you, we not only build a dance floor that is important. That's a part of the structure. So I build a platform for learning. I build a structure for us to apply innovation, innovative ideas. I have an idea portal. These are structures that large organizations have in place, but I was just building on the same analogy and realized that it's not enough to just build a dance floor maybe the leader or the founder or the senior most uh, most well-respected uh, leader in the organization needs to come in and dance at a particular time and show that okay i the leader the leaders also dancing second thing is maybe there's a specific time slot that is fixed for everybody to dance the third thing is we going and telling every person hey as a part of this job you have to dance that's the need of the hour Uh, (laughs) so how good or bad are you here is a coach who's going to help you out to assess are you good great average or needs improvement in dancing and a coach is available and everybody is dancing in a while so then i know that who are the people who are now ready to take the leap forward with me in the organization because I've not just given a dance floor, I've given a dancing coach. I am dancing in once in a while. I'm getting everybody to dance once in a while. And my leader is dancing with me. Then I know this is the skill that's needed and we all need to go forward. And those few people who are not able to dance and I know whether they're the right fit or not the right fit for this new skill that is needed
0: yeah absolutely and it's like one of the things that we face a lot with some of the wellness programs that we run is that you know even if people are okay you have to participate and so on but it's about getting people to understand the benefits of dancing <laughs> so that they actually want to do it so that they see the purpose <laughs> of them participating and that kind of changes the, the trajectory as well
1: absolutely i think we have to clarify once again here this is not literally dancing but we're giving an analogy although it's. If somebody logged in a little late on spot, yeah. like, oh, this is a this is a dance workshop. <laughs>
0: Although dancing is very beneficial both physically, mentally and emotionally.
1: <laughs> yeah, I just can't dance. I'm just good at giving dance examples, so that's
0: <laughs> the truth comes out.
1: <laughs> it is the truth, yes, absolutely.
0: Um, yeah, so I just wanted to go and check. Um, if we have any more questions coming in, there was somebody who was uh, who was asking from a uh, startup perspective. So, if somebody who's running a startup, um, they wanted to have an idea of how they can start uh, in in order to see effectiveness. Um, uh, can I plan to get a workshop for the team and some tips on how we can promote? Uh, the workshop i presume for like software on a digital okay. platform it's, yeah it's so like how can somebody who, yeah <laughs> somebody who has a startup like how would it look like in a smaller startup organization
1: so uh i i, I follow a lot of uh, thought leaders and listen to their podcasts and uh, one of my favorite leaders he says one thing he says that if you're looking to hire somebody for doing a particular job the best approach to find that skill, let's say you want to build a website, let's say you need um, some law advice, Uh, you need somebody to give you, um, to help you with your auditing process, the best way to find that skill is to go to a one-person company, right? So if there is one person who's there, uh, that that really small organization of one person is the best, that's because that person is going to do the work himself or herself so in a startup it's it's a slightly expanded team so although I'm coming to you because I know Maria but your team is more cohesive because now you're smaller maybe there are 10 15 people so it is very easy to trust you and as the organization gets bigger it's very difficult for us to trust a brand where I don't have that personal connect so in a startup, obviously, a one-person company, uh, it, it's better to go, if I have to hire a law firm, I'm gonna think, okay, who's gonna be the lawyer who's gonna come and help me? But if I know a person who the lawyer who's independent, then I would like to call them and say, will you do my work? And it's easier to get that done. So the culture in a startup is more uh, clearer, easier, because there is more cohesiveness, because it's 10, 15 people. The moment it gets bigger, there's a challenge that is very different. And that's where the culture question comes. I think that's other question integrated in the same thing was, how do I try out an idea and see how it how it works uh, in the current scenario? And I think an idea is of no use unless you're able to see its real value. And that's what we do in the design thinking approach is the experimental mindset. How are you able to go try, be willing to fail and see how it comes back? So uh, we used to do a lot of our ethnography processes or meeting the end user on a face-to-face mode. And now obviously it's switched to the digital platform. But it's, it's important to show your ideas to the same people who are going to be potential buyers of your idea or for whom you've designed and get their feedback in a very personalized way to to make your product better. So, and the more number of iterations we do here, the product is gonna keep getting better uh, in in its truest sense. And the other bit is you don't need to invest as much money on trying out an idea. So there is this mechanism or this approach that I really like that we use. It's called a value delivery prototype. A prototype is a makeshift, product. But what do you mean by value delivery prototype is, I simulate the delivery of the value, but I'm not using the real mechanism. For example, um, if you're building on a breakthrough technology, and you need to spend a million dollars to make that technology happen, is there a way to simulate what the technology does using a different approach? So IBM did this when uh, text I mean, speech to text software was not yet famous. IBM wanted to develop a speech to text software. So what they did is, it's like me speaking and the text pops up and now it's there on our phones and laptops. But back then, this is the 90s. What they did is they kept a computer and had a microphone next to it. And said, you speak in this microphone, we will, there's a software that types it. But instead of investing on building the software, they connected that microphone to the (laughs) behind the room where there's a real person listening to what you're saying. And as you're saying, hello, Savin, he's (laughs) typing and that's coming on my screen. So they made people to come and experience this, saying, hey, this is a new software. What would you think? And what's your feedback? And they were about to invest a lot of money on that. And they said, it's not so great. So let's not invest that much money because it does not make sense. So there there are ways to simulate a value delivery prototype by using different approaches and that saves a lot of time, effort, and you get to know what does the customer really want. And that's what we guide in our innovation programs that we run. How to come up with these uh, value delivery prototypes for your ideas. Quickly show it to your senior leader. This is the investment. What do you think? You say yes, no. He says no, I go back and change it. He says yes, then I make it happen. So it's much more faster, otherwise you're losing time if you have to actually build a software or a breakthrough idea and then decide how good or bad it is. So this experimental mindset is the key and in every startup this event essentially happens by default. If you're a startup you could have done these things and we want to create this culture of startup in larger organizations as individuals that can we be like a startup and this is what Jack Welch spoke about, Jack Welch, um, one of the CEOs of uh, General Electric. Um, He was CEO for close to 20 years and he, in his book Straight from the Gut, he says the same thing. He says be as agile as a company that's one by hundredth your size. So that means think, although we are a huge multinational corporation, but can you think like a startup in your domain and be as quick in implementation of those ideas? So that means a lot in terms of how you can take these ideas and make it come to life.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's so like even a small startup can run focus groups and listen to their first few customers, get feedback all the time. So, uh, that's some great tips. Somebody is asking for some ideas of how to increase communication within a team uh, where the team members tend to be more quiet or more introverted.
1: Okay, that's a, that's an interesting point. So, uh, I think this is. Now, the world is such that by default, the people who communicate more, we feel as human beings uh, that we need to support them more mm-hmm. and they, they are considered leadership material just because they're able mm-hmm. to articulate their ideas better. And that's, a, that's not a fair thing to do, but it, it is the reality of the world. So unfortunately, that's, that's there by default. So, but if you are the leader already on the other side, uh, then you need to focus that on these few people who are not by default uh, an extroverted, articulate person. I need to seek and connect with them more and seek ideas from these people consciously and connect with them more, share more stories where I am more vulnerable with the, this set of people who are not speaking up on their own. So I think it's a two-place responsibility. As a professional, if you're not able to do that, you realize it's an important skill. I'm not comfortable. It does not come naturally to me, but it's a skill that I need to build. But on the other side, as a leader, you need to put in effort to say, okay, these are the people who may have good ideas just because they're not speaking. I should not ignore them. So overcoming the what we call as an unconscious bias to confidence unconscious bias we have towards people who speak well unconscious bias towards we need to break that consciously as leaders and on the other side we need to realize it's an important skill the so called transformation we need to bring about in our approach uh, it could it could not come naturally but it's the need of the R and how do we build that slowly
0: Yeah yeah, and I guess also like I really like those points that you made. It's about also creating a culture where speaking up is celebrated and everyone's ideas yeah. are important yeah. and, you know, yeah. not yeah. being critical of new, new thinking or new ideas.
1: Absolutely. So, um, there are two approaches we use in a brainstorming method uh, as well. One of which is a brainstorm, as we call the brainstorm, is everyone gets together, screams out ideas and so on. And that's generally followed in any meeting. Uh, But if you realize that there are more researchers, so we were, um, I got an opportunity to run this uh, design thinking workshop for a group of researchers. I mean, you know, uh, who are practically scientists working on the so-called magic formula in their organizations. Now, as a researcher uh, who's working on your experiments, your type uh, of work, by default, you're working in isolation because you need that focus and you you're going through reports. I mean, that's your work. Uh, so for them, when I said, why don't you guys brainstorm, it became a big challenge because they're not happy about communicating and being more social. So there is another approach that we tried out that worked really well with this set of people. It's called brain writing, in which you give them an empty sheet of paper and say, don't disturb each other. But here's the problem. All of us sit down and write on your own in isolation. So using these alternate methods uh, helps you come up with ideas better. Yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah.
0: Also a great idea now when we're sort of working virtually that we can connect through writing maybe uh, with more ease to stop us spending all day staring into our screens as well. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So we have another question.
1: Yes, go ahead. Uh, Just just going back on uh, what you said, uh, because when we used to run design thinking workshops, we used to get requests to do it digitally. And we're like, no, that's not possible. Design thinking is more hands-on. You need those big charts and so on. And just in the last, I think for, we've been doing this for five, six years now, but in the last three months, I mean, we were, like I said, it's it's a great time to transform things. So we've been able to build, an entire kit that is fully digital that you as a user can download on your screen and use things so i i sort of have it right here like you can see it's a digital toolkit Uh, so when we're doing these workshops wherever there's an opportunity we ship it to the learners and it has uh, an entire thing that has qr codes for each stage like you can see so i just scan this and i get this on my computer immediately So we have all our canvases, each of them available on soft copy as an interactive PDF. And these are those amazing cards uh, that we use for every stage of design thinking that is now available for you to use wherever you are in the world. So we've shifted so much so quickly also because the kind of work we used to do was not there. So we thought let's channelize our energy somewhere else and our entire team worked on it. it's it's been a very challenging uh, yet interesting times uh, in the last few months
0: yeah we just have to adapt and it's a great way also to get organizations to um even though they're we're bringing in external uh, consultants who have obviously the, the the skill and the in-depth know-how it's also a great way to get the internal teams to cooperate more in the actual process by giving them tools that they can run within the team right so we do a lot of work like that too where we give exercises and scenarios that they themselves play out so they don't require us to take care of every step and it gets them to kind of create these cultural changes by participation by ongoing participation And so let's jump into some questions, uh, some more questions. If you've got any questions still, please feel free to to put a, a, a comment in the chat room, and we'll get to that. But we had some questions that were sent in beforehand by some of you. So um, there's one here, which is a great one. Uh, what are the three biggest change in changes in mindsets that is required to adopt design thinking?
1: The- first thing that we talk about in design thinking is the human-centric approach. So unless you feel for the challenges and the problems that your end user is going through, your ability to empathize is the first one. The second is uh, your ability to come up with some crazy ideas and believing in yourself that you can change that particular focus area. Uh, may not be the world but the challenge that I have at hand has a better solution that I don't know yet and I have the power to ideate. So first one is empathize, second is being creative and the third one which I also mentioned is your ability to experiment with your ideas, being okay to fail like when I take an idea to a leader and the job of the leader is to assess it from a business angle. They will say yes, no, Uh, most of the time it's a no because (laughs) sort of sense that it's not going to work very quickly but that no that i get from my leader is not a no to me as a person it was just for this idea at this stage so if i go back make it a little better and bring it to you again you may say no i go back make it a little better bring it to you again yeah that's the experimental mindset because a lot of times we take the rejection of the idea very personally Mm. if you say no to the idea i feel you're saying no to me as a person and my frustration becomes very personal with you. And I think that's very challenging for us to differentiate between the rejection of an idea and rejection of me as a person. They're two different things.
0: So yeah.
1: this mindset of experimenting, going back with that same enthusiasm uh, without losing it till you crack the solution mm. is a key mindset that we're looking at now.
0: Yeah, and it's like sort of creating that resilience uh, mindset for the team, so that they can yes. keep going back, bouncing back after Absolutely. slight rejection. Because it's actually in our um, rejection is something that we fear as a human species, because we are social, connected human beings. So when we get rejected, we we have the risk of being an outsider which means yeah. that we're not safe for survival so it's like an instinct of ours to be very fearful of rejection so i think it's also a great lesson for leaders to to learn as well about how to provide feedback in a way that doesn't feel like a rejection but rather than a great but let's keep working on it you know but uh, it's a great point um and somebody's asking here how can i help myself and my teams understand the essence of innovation in a more simple way so that it's not this kind of fancy item or fancy thing that seems very foreign to sort of make it more um, everyday.
1: Um, The first thing that we've observed is there are, there there used to be companies that used to treat innovation as a separate department saying this team will work on innovation, future strategy and so on. Mm -hmm. And then the rest of the company is working on what we're doing today. Um, But using the design thinking approach, what we say is that, Um, the innovation is not department basis it's it's a cross functional approach so ideas can come from anywhere ideas can come from people who are interacting with your customer ideas can come from people who don't know about your process and there are some brilliant case studies that we've uh, used to see that some of the greatest of ideas comes in when people from different backgrounds come together so If you want to create a real innovation team pick up people one person from different departments put them together give them a project and say this is the challenge let's work it out
0: yeah and it goes back to your earlier point about you know making making it part of the the culture about being agile about constantly transforming and changing so I wonder if it's part of your culture then innovation becomes like a normal everyday uh, thing like a, a normal concept that's constantly happening so great and there's another question about sales teams. So, obviously, now with uh, COVID 19 lockdown still in place in many parts of the world, um, obviously, it gives a big challenge to, to sales teams who are going out and um, selling and promoting products uh, to their clients. So, what are some of the ideas, um, you know, that, or some strategy or ideas that they can work around that? How to A, keep their team's you know, uh, morale up and also how can they uh, reach out to their customers in a different way?
1: Sure, so now uh, I'm not an expert on sales, but yeah. I think it's it's a real challenge. So I'm thinking of it more from a challenge perspective, more than a sales problem, uh, that can we make this uh, as a design thinking challenge and say put together a team of people saying, our sales are declining, what can we do? Uh, The number one question is, is my product relevant today? But if I know that my product is relevant and uh, people need it, but I don't know how to reach out to them because I can't physically go there, uh, a sale happens basis the trust that you build. So the best way is to going back to people who already trust you and try to reach out through them. Rather than trying to gain trust in the low-touch economy, as we call it, is going to be a challenge. So with the people you already know, can I have a reconnect on a virtual platform? Can I send a pitch on a video call? Can I talk to them? Then it's easier. Then I meet a new person straight away on a virtual call, building the trust is a little more challenging. So Mm -hmm. um, the approach has to be about, hey, Maria, you know me, you've used our services can you recommend me your best friend in this company to come and try this out because we need your guidance. So that's the trust sharing principle. So I go through you to somebody else to put my product out there. So uh, trust building in the low touch economy is going to be a challenge. So going back to people who already trust you, asking for them to recommend and using that route uh, is much better than you trying to go out there, build trust digitally, Overnight when you don't have the authenticity to do it as often is going to be yeah. a the bigger challenge. Yeah.
0: In these times, you know, I think it's also, also okay for sales teams to also to, to, to literally to ask for help to say, look, you know, we're having a difficult time because our product requires us to showcase it so we're looking for for more support and you know be human about it you know we're all going through the the same experience of struggles and I think something that's come out of this which is lovely is the fact that it's sort of brought people together in 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 a sense you know that we're all in this struggle together so let's help each other out as much as we can so I love that
1: Yeah, and I think you touched upon a very important emotional aspect and a lot of times we feel we can't reach out for help and this is a tough time everybody is reaching out for help so it's it's okay to go out there and reach out for help
0: yeah and um, there was somebody who actually had a good question according to that so we'll just um, do that one quickly and then I'll just finish up with maybe a couple of tips that you can share with us um, so how can we build leadership muscles related to empathy and vulnerability I know we spoke a little bit about it but maybe you've got something else that you want to share
1: um again, um, there is there is a huge uh, differentiating generation gap that we speak about, right? so uh, when we when we worked with um, and a technology company, they said sixty five percent of our workforce are millennials. But the people who are leading them at the top uh, are on the other extreme, the one baby generation boomers. Be, yeah, the baby boomers. so, So, how do we get these guys and create that informal environment to understand each other's mindsets? So, uh, we did a program exclusively for the baby boomers to understand the millennial mindset and the truth of it. So, the truth is, if the work does not make me more passionate, Uh, If I'm not passionate about my work, it does not connect with me as a person, as a millennial, I will not connect with your project, with your work. I will not like it if I am trying to get to update you every hour about what I'm going to be doing. Right? These are things that have to be discussed and that was a very interesting exercise. So we use the framework of design thinking again, made them interview. And empathize with the millennials and then got that on the table, got the quotations from people from the same organization saying, hey, this is what they're saying about me as a leader from my own company, but without the names. And what does this mean? And how does it help for me to reflect, analyze, come up with a solution on the way forward? Yeah. So it is important to A, accept what the reality is, B, Uh, have conversations come up with a co-creative solution on the way forward
0: yeah and to have real conversations you know to really get into it yeah Yeah. really great advice
1: and and also that's where a neutral organization comes into place right so if you are working in your company and then you're interviewing your own employees there's a big fear out there but in your company, if you call me as a neutral person and my job is to make you guys work together better, that's it. Yeah. So I'll figure out a way how to do it in an unbiased fashion and submit to you all the reports that I've found and findings that will make it more neutral for both of you to accept and build on. And it's it's like how when two people have a conflict, there's a person who comes in between and says, I can help you guys mediate. And come
0: to a consensus. Well, I think that's that's been great. What an amazing conversation! And so much wisdom being shared. Um, I wonder if you could just wrap up, maybe with just maybe a couple of you know, a couple of points that you wanted to sort of finalize with, or anything oh, that you I, wanted. I'm to... going to put
1: this on you. I want you to summarize the whole
0: conversation. It <laughs> could take several hours. <laughs> <laughs>
1: okay so uh, let's do this together so um, the key shift in our approach in terms of designing a transformational program was not to treat it as an event Uh, and we do these conversations with all our clients as often as we can and say hey we need a program for one day we're like okay we're happy to do the one-day program but what is it the outcome that you want and can we build a journey around it so transformation is a journey not an event yeah, but if you make it as exciting as possible then it becomes an eventful journey so you have multiple events but it should lead to one specific outcome getting the purpose of the transformation is very important purpose from the leadership team and purpose for me as an individual why should I transform? what is the need? the why has to be answered first then the how I will be willing to follow so if, if my CEO comes and tells me this is the need of the hour and you don't have this skill, Sabine. I will want to work on it. Right. So the why has to be clarified, then the how will follow. And uh, finding the need in a deeper sense before you build the journey. What is really happening at the ground level? So at the top level, you may see somebody asked me the question, right? That the sales is not working out. But have you gone in deeper and found out is our product relevant? what are the exact challenges our sales team is facing today before we offer solutions and strategies to them. So it's going to be really fairly wrong for me to say, do this. I have no idea. I have not been there in their shoes for the last three months. So going back deeper, finding out what is happening now before you shoot out solutions is extremely important when you build a transformation culture. and like i said it it really makes you feel good uh, when you're able to create something that helps people change and helps the organization change helps teams become more coherent and tight there's a lot of meaning in the work that i see that when we do this together so that's what keeps us going and finding that meaning in your work is the key to everything
0: yeah and it's almost like transformations are used in order to kind of make your organizations more elastic and more pliable and more um, enduring and resilient and forward-thinking and agile and all these things so it's really like an essential part of an organization amazing well thank you so much for coming on today
1: spoken about the dance example which is really nice (laughs) the leaders must dance Thank you, Vinay, for that. And
0: if you want to send in some videos of you sure. dancing, you know, please feel free. I'll put a little collage together. <laughs> you, maybe oh, you could start no. us off, Sabine. <laughs>
1: <laughs> thank you so much, Maria. It was fun. Thank you for reaching all out. Right. Right. Well, thank you so much.
0: To and me. thanks for everyone uh, joining us. And a big thanks, obviously, to you, Sabine, for all of your uh, shared information there. It's been very eye-opening. So wonderful. Thank you so much.